it is on us as an industry to work out a way that we can work better together so that our tools can share data more effectively. We need to have this data sharing so that we can trigger and we can triage at the speed of machines rather than trying to always put human glue in between. Hello and welcome to Explain It brought to you by Softcat, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird, and over the next 30 or so minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different area of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about endpoint detection and response, or EDR, what it is, why an organization should care about it, and what the future is. And with me to help is Adam Luca, who is Softcat's Chief Technologist for Security. Uh, welcome back to the show, Adam. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Is this your third time, fourth time? I think it's third time this season. So as you have been here for your third time, you need to bring your third interesting fact. This one has got a top all other interesting facts. So um, I had a band at school called Test of Nerves. We were... Test of Nerves. Very emo phase, you know. <laughs> I was still trying to grow my long hair out, and we mainly did uh, pop punk covers what was your like the favorite song you did very much liked um blink 182 adam's song yes fully fulfilled my ego as the lead singer uh, and we also have russell humphreys who is vp of product management for the endpoint security group at sophos russell thank you so much for joining us uh, here at explain it uh russell did you bring an interesting fact with you i think we prepped you didn't we i brought a semi-interesting fact that my family doctor is the uh, brother of the past actor robert shaw and it's the absolute spit of him. But whenever we used to go in there, I don't know, maybe the thousandth time he heard the joke, it looks like we need a bigger surgery. Uh, he, he was always kind and very polite and laughed appropriately. But it was always a bit of a double take, going to see someone for your sniffles that the last time you saw them, they looked like they were chasing down sharks. That's really cool. So, Russell, as the VP of Product Management for the Endpoint Security Group at Sophos, what does your job actually entail? Well, at the end of the day, a product manager owns the business, if you will. So you own defining what the product looks like, understanding what the competitive marketplace is like, helping design and develop the product in its evolution, not just the needs and the wants for today, but trying to predict where the bad guys are going, where our competition in the market space is going, what customer and user needs are going to be, market trends, if you will, and combining all that with a technological discipline to be able to translate that into terms that developers, data scientists, labs, and so forth can help turn into product for us. Good answer. Good answer. Thank you very much. Okay, so first question, EDR then. What is it? Can we just quickly define it? So I think we have to speak about EDR as an evolution, um, yeah. probably in three different stages. So stage one was our signature-based antivirus technologies. is so something that most of us would be very familiar with, but it's the idea that we had a list of bad things and we detected anything that was on that bad list. Then attackers got clever and they started making different types of attacks and they started reforming their attacks so they looked different. So all of a sudden this list got really, really, really big and we either had to keep giving more and more bigger lists or we had to find some new techniques. So this started the revolution or the evolution to next generation endpoints. This was endpoint agents that contained additional detective techniques. So they would have things like machine learning or, or AI-based algorithms to identify malware that was similar to another piece that we'd seen before but wasn't exactly the same. 
Alongside that, we started using things like sandboxes to actually explode the malware, not literally, but to run the code and, and actually look to see whether it did anything malicious. So a sandbox is, think about the word, what is a sandbox? It's a place where the kids play. Yeah, so it's a place where the malware plays. It's a safe space where the malware plays and does its thing. And we look to see whether it's good or bad. Alongside that, we then started considering things like exploit prevention. What happened at version 2.1 is that threat actors started to realize, hey, if we don't use files, these guys are blind. So what we started to do was use these script-based malware that would only run in memory to try and bypass all these mechanisms that we'd, we'd picked up to actually pick up their malware. So what then happened was the market responded by looking for the techniques that they used to run that malicious code. So these exploits that they were using. So they would typically take advantage of, of memory corruption techniques. So whether these are ROP attacks or buffer overflows in a very kind of classic style. And what we did is we start to look for those different types of exploits. So this exploit prevention. And then we combine that typically with the network information. So we looked at IP addresses, known bad C2 servers, or looking for randomized DNS lookups, all these different techniques that would give us the signal that maybe this thing was bad. So you can see how much of a big jump that is from version one to version two, or level one to level two. So we did all this, and this was great. And we started to get a, a rate of false positives. And actually, these tools were better at detecting a larger range of attacks, but they started kicking up the number of false positives. So what we've now done is we've now gone into this kind of third generation of EDR. And for me, this brings in three fundamental additional capabilities. Number one, it increases the amount of context we have about an incident. So not only do you see just the malicious file, but you also see the chain of events that happened before and after that file. So that gives you that full visibility of the attack chain. Secondary to that, actually, we can start to be proactive. So if you have the right skills and or you subscribe to a service whereby you get those skills, we can proactively look for these malicious attacks, techniques and targets and start to then take action on that. And then finally, it gives us the ability to proactively respond across a mass set of devices. So should something bad happen, WannaCry is often used, but one of the questions customers were asking me after WannaCry, you know, a few years ago now was, how do I know if I've been breached? Well, with an EDR, we have the ability to very quickly at scale work out exactly what's happened and know the status of every endpoint and whether or not it's secured. Uh, I think I'd like to add on a, perhaps a little bit more context. And there's the magic word, context. Yep. You see, no two attacks can look the same from a payload perspective, from an initial entry point perspective. Even the patterns of behavior, the bad guys, the threat actors are modifying those. So without having an enormous false positive rate, even next generation uh, solutions are tuned more towards detection than FP for fairly obvious reasons. Uh, I said FP. What is an FP? It's a false positive where a solution incorrectly convicts uh, a process, an application, a set of behavior as being bad when in actuality it was not. If you talk about where is the security market going? For, for me, if you look at it very broadly at a macro scale, it's getting out of the way of the users. And every time we have a false positive, we've failed as security people because we've stopped someone doing something that potentially they were meant to be doing. If we go and capture a Word document that you were trying to work on because we thought it was malware, actually we prevented somebody being effective at, at their job. Well, this is the yeah, I would agree with that uh, right up until the point that the organization gets hit by the word macro and all of their servers are encrypted. And then, surprisingly enough, they become more false positive uh, acceptance. Like a lot of things in this industry, it tends to pendulum swing a tad. But in principle, I agree. I think the point I mentioned earlier about context is oh so important. When one thinks about EDR, 
the premise is if you were to catch all of the likely actors that fall into the grey space, the unknown space where EDR lives, if we knew it was bad, we'd stop it. If we knew it was good, we'd let it go by. If we're not too sure, well, that's where EDR lives. And one of the key reasons that we have to understand that not too sure is just a reality is because vendors have a global context, whereas companies have a local context. Let me explain that. I, as a piece of software or a trained machine learning algorithm, could look at a PowerShell script, for example, that could be built in memory. Now, uh, that might be completely legitimate. I have to say, from a threat indication perspective, any threat hunter would look at that and go, that looks fairly smelly. But I found in the real world, we have customers that have, believe it or not, Word documents and Excel spreadsheets that build PowerShell scripts in, in the macro and then execute them as a legitimate, um, in their mind, code path, as a legitimate part of a solution. It would not be terribly unreasonable to look at that set of behaviors and, and mark it as malicious in a global context. The local context is I know I'm the admin and I've written this Excel macro that generates these PowerShell scripts. So if we were to set the adjustment down too low, we, we, we would let through too many. If we set it to too high, we would start convicting innocent behaviors. As soon as you start nudging down the detection barrier even a little bit, whatever the observed behavior or behaviors are, go into the EDR fold. That is where local context comes up. That is where I, as an administrator, can bless, exonerate, or convict a set of behaviors. Being able to gather that information and contextualize it, that's really where EDR is living. So, Russell, you mentioned the, the term operator, you know, security analyst, person using the tool. I guess that's one of the things we see a lot from our perspective is customers looking to go embark on EDR journeys are seeing these very much as requiring investment in people as well as, as tooling. I'm interested to hear your view on sort of that balance between need for expertise versus investing in tooling that, that almost provides that, what do they call it, I've heard analyst in a box or sock in a box used previously. I'd be interested in, in your view, because obviously you can't replace that local knowledge. You've talked about how important that is, that local context. But actually, how much of this can be automated so that it isn't a burden on, on uh, SOC or security teams and businesses? It's a cracking question. Or um, I might up-level that if I say and say perhaps most customers do not have a SOC or a security team. So how can we add value for customers that just don't have one? And the answer to that is... Yes, you're correct. This is where machine learning and artificial intelligence and data science, combined with labs like curated data services, reputation, these can all come together to be able to exhibit, and I'm going to pick a number here just for illustrative purposes, let's say the top 80%. Right. Here, we, we can believe that we can leverage data science, we can leverage the scale of machine learning to look at patterns of behavior to identify, and again, it's illustrative, it's of this order though, 80-odd percent of suspicious activities where an IT admin who has the local context could look at that auto-curated list, if you will, and be able to add that local context that the machine brain in a box doesn't have. The machine brain in a box, like any ML, can be taught against tens, hundreds, of thousands, in, in our case, and in many cases in the malware space, tens of millions of examples, right? But they're examples of stuff we've seen. And it's very good at then looking at something it's never seen before and mapping it against those examples. The same thing can be true for behaviors. Let me give you an example, a world example. 
a unknown or low reputation. So there's your curated labs. What's the reputation of something? It's prevalence. It's providence. Is it signed? Did it come to a trusted installer? These are signals. If it doesn't have any of those signals, it might just be a shadow IT app. That doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. But then that application reaches out to an unknown IP address on the internet. Okay, these are very suspicious behaviors. Again, it may not be bad. It could be shadow IT. We can absolutely, in our industry, have machine learning models that could look at those signals and exhibit a warning to an IT admin that, in simple terms, says, do you recognize this? Is this your shadow IT app? Well, then we can make it easier for someone to press on the metaphorical buttons that asks, well, how did it get here? What did it do? What's your judgment, Mr. Brain in a Box, as to what this thing does? So let's talk about organizations then. So why would they consider EDR over, you know, advanced endpoint protection? Well, they shouldn't. It should be an and, not an or. You should always have a protection first approach. Because the more the better you are at protecting, the less hunting you've got to do. Pick the strongest protection that you can and layer EDR on top of that. Don't go towards EDR first and then and, and, and then, then, then think about your protection profile. I would posit personally that the better the better protection, the, the more likely you to catch something earlier in the attack chain, uh, the likely you are to catch stuff in the first place. But I come back to nothing's 100%. Right? Nothing is. So you want EDR on top of it. So you're saying EDR needs to be in conjunction with an endpoint detection platform. A next-gen endpoint. A next-gen endpoint detection platform. Good. Uh, so you've got an advanced next-gen endpoint detection platform. Why would you then consider EDR? What, what's the advantage to an organization? Or what would they be missing out if they didn't have it? So I, I kind of think, if, you know, three main key things for improvement. Increased visibility, reduced time to respond, and reduced time to detect. You know, fundamentally, they are the three things you're looking for as a security person. You know, if you are measuring the effectiveness of a of a SOC or any sort of security function, MTTD, mean time to detect, MTTR, mean time to respond are the two key metrics we're looking for to, to measure whether or not you're improving and or you're, you're doing a better job than you were doing 12 months ago. So any technology that increases your ability to do that and gives you more data in a quicker and more consumable way to me is an improvement to your ability to perform security operations. I would also say that the second reason you would do it is if you are looking to formalize and actually start to deliver security operations rather than just people who look after security management platforms, you need to give these people the tools. You know, they need a totally different data set to somebody who's performing security engineering, who's maybe managing the management console of your favorite endpoint security vendor, because that fundamentally is giving you information about install state and health and when the database was updated and, and, you know, how much coverage you've got, which are all very valid metrics, but they're not security focused metrics and they're not the insight that somebody in that security operations role needs to actually tell you whether or not you are seeing abnormal behaviors on your network and also to give the relevant information to incident response teams and, and other interested parties should, as Russell say, an, an incident happen. I agree. I think as you're doing your shopping, those three capabilities need um, on top of them three honest answers to three questions. Do I have a sock? <laughs> Do I have anyone who has the appropriate capabilities that does not? And if the answer is no, and for most people it will be, that does not mean you're not in the market for the EDR. It just means you need to pick the right EDR solution. 
because there's EDR solutions that, frankly, would, if you were to look at them, it looks like the console of the Starship Enterprise, just in Klingon. And um, there are other solutions that are designed to, uh, for ease of use and more consumable. And there are solutions that are designed to be able to address both. Be honest about your own internal uh, capabilities. Um, you may well have an IT individual. You may well have a few IT individuals. They may be able to do Tier 1 and Tier 2 type of incident response, but have a tool that allows a security partner and find a security partner who could do that Tier 3 for you, who could come in if you need to do a, a more deeper forensic deep dive perhaps, but make sure you pick the type of tooling and the type of partnership that allows you to do that if you don't have the SOC. Point two, if you do have the SOC, you're probably paying a six-digit per year price for your top-end security threat hunters. Right? I mean, not far off it, if not that. What's the value of their time? The second question is, is your solution making the best use of their time? Is the signal-to-noise ratio appropriate? Is it a tiered solution? So I come back to, can the top 80% be kind of given to your technical support team, which are frankly a whole lot cheaper? And can you free up your SOC person if you do have that SOC person? And finally, with none of those things, the, the, the other acronym we haven't mentioned is MDR. Uh, so managed detection and response. What is that? Well, as the name would suggest, that's an EDR solution with the management of that solution outsourced. And uh, I believe that that for some companies will be an attractive model. Um, I think security as a service is definitely um, growing. It's a trend that I think we will see to continue. Uh, and I think EDR products should be designed such that they can be of utility to the customer internally and utility to the MDR provider. I totally agree. I think the MDR space is massively and rapidly growing. I think the thing customers have to be careful with, as with a lot of things, buying more stuff just makes more noise. And if you don't have the people who can understand the noise, you're just standing in a room that's a cacophony of alerts. You know, if you don't have the time and potentially the expertise to understand what that means, you just made it worse for yourself because actually you've now got even more noise to sift through than you had before. So you're even more confused and you, you don't, you've, you've got even less certainty about what's going on. So before you embark on this journey of creating and plugging more stuff in, and, and EDR is only one part of this. You can look at SIM, you can look at anything that is really a detective control that isn't preventative by nature. Every time you add a detective control, all you're doing is shaking the tree more and more. Yeah, and unless you know whether or not what is falling out is a leaf or an apple, you've just got more stuff falling on the ground. A wise selection of a few tools that can deliver the right level of signal-to-noise ratio is very important. This is where the context piece comes in, and this is definitely where um, data science can help expand out dramatically. I mean, think about, for example, I'll give you a real-world example. We were doing some initial tests in customer estates on how often PowerShell gets run. And a fairly small estate will have 10,000 PowerShell executions in a week. If you had to filter and investigate each one of those, you're you, wouldn't, gonna... you wouldn't be able to do much. Now, imagine if you can add the context that machine learning and data science and labs can. PowerShell, running memory, spawned from Win-word. a document with a mark of the web or a script where you can where it can be scored because it's, it's encoded. I mean, that's a heck of a tell to start with right there, yeah. So by adding more context, by adding more layers that can come from curation, you can't beat people. You've said it before. Having human beings in labs around the world who are keeping a track of what's happening is very important. Machine learning, scale the people. 
Right? That's what machine learning does. And think about the way your car is driven is because it, it's doing image recognition all the time and radar image recognition, all that good stuff. It's scaling up. And then combine that together with a, a sort of a sensible data model and presentation layer. And now that 10,000 signals can drop down to a couple of hundred maybe. And now that's consumable. Now that's something that someone could look at. So I've got an interesting question for you, Russell. So one I got asked very recently for my opinion on. If you had to choose between endpoint and network as your source of detection, you know, to provide this, which one would you choose and why? Endpoint every time. Okay. Why is that? Well, uh, can you guarantee that your laptop's going to be on the corporate network? Yeah, I think that's fair. Right. Well, I, I don't know about you. I spend entirely too much time working in Starbucks. On, that's my caffeine addiction, probably. Once a developer, always a developer. No, think about our decentralized world now. I mean, um, I'm sure many of the people um, listening to this might well be in their car now. And they may even be on an airplane. Lots of us travel. Lots of us do work in you know, the T5 lounge uh, at home, all over the place. The T5 lounge at home? Your house must be lovely. <laughs> the T5 lounge, comma, at home, comma. Look, the sofas you're, you're in, uh, our head office, lovely office, right? We couldn't host everyone if everybody turned up on the same day. I'm sure it's true for many, many offices now. If every employee turned up who's meant to have a desk, they wouldn't fit the car park. That is the nature of, of modern work. So I would, I'd pick the end point. The other reason I picked the end point is, this is an opinion, but you asked. Most of the detections that are application or behavioral based via network require a lot more intelligence to connect to try contextualize. Whereas the endpoint, the thing that generated the traffic, that sensor definitely has the most context of what is it going on it. So I think it's probably the highest resolution. Interesting. I think uh, the, the other question I would ask you is customer is looking to buy EDR or some type of EDR or SIM. Where do you put your money? That's going to depend on the customer, and that's such a political answer, isn't it? Just interested. I, no, I think no, it's I an interesting because it. we speak to a lot of quest customers, you know, who are maybe looking at their next SIM project, and they're going, "Should I buy SIM?" You know, depends. Like, are they shareholders in Splunk? Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a shareholder in Splunk, say yes, um, because there's a re- no kidding aside. There's a reason they charge by the gig. SIM is not cheap. No, right? none um, of this technology but, is cheap. I guess. Well, that's that's true. I would posit this. If you're in an organization or an industry where you have to deal with malicious insiders, very significant um, legislative audit requirements, you're probably going to need the SIEM. I would posit you're going to need the EDR solution because your SIEM is an enormous backdrop. It's your insurance policy. I'd agree. But the EDR solution is your day-to-day threat hunting and incident response tool. So sadly, I'd say both. Here's the good news. If you can afford the scene, the EDR solution is a relatively small percentage on top. For most customers, even with the relatively new announcements uh, by key cloud vendors, by the way, who are trying to make their cloud stickier by sticking loads of data in it, um, that seem is more attainable. Even if that were true, and I posit it isn't, EDR is more day-to-day usable by IT and threat hunters. It's interesting how we've kind of come to this the, maybe the wrong way around to some extent. I think it obviously seems a more historic technology and more customers are looking to seem as the, almost like it's, it's seem, then it's EDR. And, and you would probably say that actually in the real world, probably EDR then seem is probably better for, for most customers on their maturity journey, would you say? I would definitely say so. To be blunt, seem is actually relatively easy. Record everything, throw it in a bloody great big data lake. 
right? And then provide tools that add experts. And there's the magic word, right? Tools that provide experts the ability to join the dots and do the pivoting. Intelligent filtering, getting the signal to noise ratio right, adding context and color to the detections that you've got. So a SOC analyst in the real world of day-to-day can actually respond and find something. That's where EDR lives. I believe if you were to look at scene, it's probably the great post-case, super detailed type of, uh, of set of technologies. It, it was easier to do, which is why it came first. I mean, seams have been around quite a long time, when well, one shape or form. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I just think that machine learning definitely is a set of technologies that have evolved, so you can put them on the endpoint now. Right? I mean, that that's definitely something. There's more than one type of ML technology. Deep learning as a technology allows you to do significant data science work on an endpoint with a ten meg footprint, and that wasn't that possible before. It's the technologies, again, that are enabling EDR to actually deliver on some of the promise of scene. But there's still going to be industries where someone's going to say, but what if? It's a fraction of the overall market. It tends to be Fortune 5000s. They tend to be the bigger guys, of course. Uh, but for those guys, yeah, sure, I'd say both. Why would an organisation not want EDR? What are the disadvantages of EDR? So we kind of covered a couple of them as we went through. Fundamentally, this is going to create more alert noise. It's just a truth. You know, you will see more. Therefore, you will have to make decisions on the status of those alerts. So if you're already an organization who is maxed, you already don't have time to look at the current potentially basic tools that you've got today. I would argue that throwing EDR into the mix, while might provide you with more relevant, contextual and maybe more accurate alerts, if you already don't look at the alerts you've got today, it's probably not going to help because fundamentally your issue is bandwidth and, and resource. So my view of a lot of these things is that we do have to still be very careful that we are not just throwing more tools at the wall and hoping that it will fix our security problems. Good governance, good architecture, good processes and good people are fundamentally much more important than going and buying another bit of technology that you already can't leverage effectively. I agree. No security tool on the planet is going to help you if if your username, password, admin, admin still. Which, by the way... I still see. And so is there is there um, an argument for organisations to not get um, an EDR solution? Yeah, I think if I was sitting with somebody in the IT leadership team at a customer and they said to me, Adam, we have X thousands of pounds over the next five years and we can either buy your snazzy EDR solution that you've showed us or I can get a security professional in to add an extra body into my already overworked team, I would tell them to get the extra body. Because I know fundamentally that that will make that customer better at performing these security roles. And the middle ground for that is organizations like ourselves and Sophos who are providing managed security wraps around their technology. So I think as an industry, we are adapting to the fact that resourcing is incredibly difficult to obtain, is incredibly expensive, and it's incredibly limited. So fundamentally, I I no longer think it's about the product. It's about the outcome that it delivers and it's about the delivery. So and whether that's you delivering it or somebody else delivering it, you know, make sure you are really exploiting your security tools because otherwise they are just boxes running in flashy light mode. Let's look to the future then. So for EDR, what does the future look like? Is there going to be a fourth generation mode for, for endpoint protection? For me, I... I genuinely believe that the the next way in security is integration. So whether that's integration between different technologies within a vendor's own stack or it's integration between different vendors across a stack, 
that for me is fundamentally how we're going to solve this resource problem. And I think it is on us as an industry to work out a way that we can work better together so that our tools can share data more effectively across what I, I like to think of frenemies. You know, fundamentally, everyone is a frenemy these days. We all share data. We all share threat intel. Yet we all go and pitch for business against each other. But that's kind of how the industry has to work. And we need to have this data sharing so that we can trigger and we can triage at the speed of machines rather than trying to always put human glue in between. And and I think for me, that is the next generation of EDR. It's 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 not about the technology somehow getting uh, magically any better because I, I do believe we're not slowing down, but I do think we've we've gone through a serious rate of change in terms of the, the, the improvement of the technologies and techniques we've got to detect malicious code. I personally, and from my experience, I can't see us going through another immediate step change of that again. I think probably that will start to curve off in terms of that technique, but I think where we will start to see those improvements will be the integration piece and sharing of that data to trigger multiple events across the security ecosystem without the human having to do anything. I can only amplify that, actually. I think organizations are going to want to expand the scope beyond Windows, Right? Because, frankly, when you think about EDR today, it is, to the vast majority, Windows endpoints. And that's just not the reality of a heterogeneous environment these days. I think the statement will be, I want you to secure my workforce. Not, I want you to secure my Windows device. That's just a reflection of a hardware and software and operating system selection that the information worker may have chosen or you have forced upon them. When you start thinking about as a service, which I believe the industry will evolve to over the next five to seven years, then it will be protect my people because that's protecting my business. Let's just face some facts for a moment. Right? Uh, other than us on the call, for most people, security is kind of a tax to keep the business running and to protect the reputation and so that they don't get sued or GDPR or whatever it may be. And people think about their business as an entity and their people as in investments in that to protect my people. That means that the solutions required need to be able to cover the Windows machine, their Mac machines, their mobile devices, and their online presences. And the SaaS apps and everything exactly. else. And that's exactly. And their online presences. Um, as I go into um, Office 365 from my mobile device, because I do. I'm, I'm sure many are, are, are listening to this do as well. I, I have a Mac, I have a Chromebook, and I have a Windows machine. I'm a geek, but... Lots of people do. The Chromebook EDR agent is, uh, is is not there, is it? Well, actually, funnily enough, it's coming. Um, but yes, as a general rule, uh, there really isn't much coverage other than Windows. There's a little bit of Mac and some people talking about Linux. I think it's important. Uh, I do believe that the data science investments will continue to pay dividends. I think we've only just seen the tip of the iceberg for, for what data science can give us. It is not the magic bullet. We Any organization um, will require expertise and skills. You can't rely on ML to do all of it for you. But I am a great believer that it will democratize, at the moment, a series of specialized skills down to the level of an IT administrator. That should be our goal in the industry. There's always going to be the top 10%, the top five. We could argue what it is, 10, 5, 20. There'll always be the cream on the top of the coffee where you need greater expertise it should get thinner right and the vast majority of the difficulty should be automated and democratized through through data science through labs through software 
So we spoke about the fourth generation of sort of endpoint security being all about integrating things together. What role do you think EDR has to play in that integration? Okay, so that's that's a great question. I think it's very important that people can get their information out just as easily as it's gone into any platform. Um, APIs everywhere is a pretty darn good way to to sort of distill that down. We were talking earlier about EDR and SIEM, and, and the customer may evolve from, I would posit, an EDR solution to perhaps requiring a, a larger data lake that's a single source of truth. Having an API set and methods to be able to easily export information into that data lake would seem like a fairly obvious starting point. But above and beyond that, I would expect a platform to allow a customer to do ad hoc questioning. I'm not going to be conceited enough to think that I could design a user interface that could cover every scenario that a customer may want to be able to envisage to be able to ask questions about their estate. If, however, we lay our interface on top of an API set then and expose it, then customers or partners can customize on top of that API set to their heart's content. So, Adam, uh, to summarize? To summarize, EDR is the next generation evolution of endpoint protection software, gives us lots more signals, gives us lots more context, gives us lots more information. But that comes with downsides of needing to interpret and or have people who are able to interpret and take the value from that data to perform the right actions at the right time. Good EDR solutions for most organizations will look to include techniques that help you filter and sift from the signal to the noise that gets you to the right information straight away and that offers support to ask for help from external parties, whether that's programmatically, you know, up to sandboxes or alternatively human beings on the end of a telephone. And it provides organizations with a way to react and understand incidents from the beginning to the end should the worst happen and you need to understand the repercussions of that incident. Fantastic. Well, Adam and Russell, thank you so much for your time. Listeners, if there's anything in the show that has piqued your interest or if you'd like to speak to someone at SoftCat about anything we've talked about in this episode, do make sure you check out the show notes. We're going to put some information about some of the stuff that we talked about in this episode as well as some contact details. So do also make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcast and we will deliver the next episode to your device as soon as it lands. So thank you for listening to Explain It from SoftCat. <laughs>